Hong Kong drunk at Ronin. No, wait. How long was that? Three years ago. Three? Is it three years? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Yeah. I'm sitting in a cozy office at the headquarters of Rafa in London's King's Cross area. I'm catching up with an old friend, Alex Waldman. As Rafa's creative director, he's helped the brand transcend cycling and become globally respected thanks to its branding, marketing, and naturally, a highly desirable product that includes a network of brick and mortar clubhouses across the world. These clubhouses around the world and as far as Taipei and LA allow global Rafa members to pop in for a quick coffee, to borrow a bike, or to meet with a like-minded community. Actually not here entirely because of Rafa, but instead, I'm here for Alex's fascinating trajectory that started with him making custom hoodies for the likes of Kanye West with his own brand, to entering the corporate world with time spent with Nike, Levi's, and Giro. His story is about realism and reinvention. So you and I met 2005, 2006? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. In the most sort of I guess of the time, it made a lot of sense. Like we, we met on MySpace yeah. and I had just started Hypebeast and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like someone's hitting me up for Hypebeast related stuff. How did you come across me? I think I was on Hypebeast and I saw that there was an article written by Eugene Can that I really liked. I forgot what the article was about. I wish yeah. I... I, I wish we could. I wish we could open up MySpace and see that yeah, initial yeah. interaction. Yeah, I deleted my MySpace, yeah. and then they went out of business anyway. But I think they're still around, actually. Really? I think they're like a music streaming thing. I really wonder what their business model looks like right now. Yeah, I wonder where Tom's at. Man, I know at Dover Street there's T-shirts with Tom's oh, face yeah. on it. Uh, what brand is that? I I saw that from someplace. I don't know. I don't remember. I was thinking about like, man, if I bought this and I came in here with my team or the people in my team that are under 25 even know what that is. Yeah. And why they'd be like, whoa, this is weird. Why is this like lo-fi, super pixelated <laughs> photo on this shirt? I wonder, I don't know anyone that's actually met Tom, but thank you, Tom, if if you're listening yeah, to this. Yeah, Tom is the reason why we met. Yeah. So big shout out to Tom. It's interesting because I always look back at some of the friendships I made very early on in my quote unquote professional career. And like those early friendships are arguably the ones that you still keep around people like yourself. Like it's been like 12 years. Yeah. And I guess, you know, a few days ago, right before I came to London, we were sort of reconnecting on kind of the past and also how we sort of like follow each other's career. Like we were never, I think there's part of us that sort of like grew apart. Like when you left the quote unquote streetwear world, like, that's when we no longer work together more closely on a professional level. Yeah. Like I think it, despite that, it was always really refreshing to see someone come from that space and sort of carve out their lane and sort of emerge and develop their own sort of path, right? While the modern dialogue of fashion inevitably involves streetwear, there was a point in time when streetwear was yet to intersect with an element of luxury. The high fashion houses weren't knocking on the door and looking to swoop in on the authenticity of street culture and hip hop. Alex's interest in the development of culture all began in his younger days. San Francisco's passionate skate community set a foundation for his path towards community and fashion. I guess I could take it a, a, a bit back. 
Yeah, even before Homeroom, like my, um, like I grew up in San Francisco and I grew up um, kind of in this neighborhood that wasn't necessarily uh, anything but middle class, like, like middle class in the American sense, not the UK sense. And it was just, I don't know, it was just a bunch of kind of like immigrants and kids and that neighborhood just happened to have like really good skate spots. And so that's what I got into. Yeah. And I think through skating, you kind of start at an early age building this community that was super opinionated or really critical about what's acceptable and what's not. Yeah. Right. So you started walking a really like thin line within a culture. And I think naturally that kind of grew into just like, oh, you know, you got to have like uh, a board that's seven and a quarter. You can't really ride boards that are eights, right? This is like early mid nineties. But then something iconic kind of happened, which is you had this scene that kind of came back because skating was dead in the early nineties and the mid nineties, it really kind of flourished. And to see it go from this thing that didn't exist, this thing that existed and being heavily influenced globally by like your little community, it just showed you, fuck man, people with passion have the power to do something impactful that benefits people. Right. And this, this was way better than hanging out, playing video games right? yeah, this totally. is you kind of like cracking jokes with people yeah. like you know going through your adolescence and building real relationships through experience yeah which right? I think is the one thing that is a little bit challenging currently like you're in a space now where entry into a community is is predicated on consumption versus like experience and sort of some sort of actionable thing you know like you can't really enter the world of skating without skating. You know, you can wear the right clothes or the right brands or you could like carry a board around, but I don't think that's indicative or people see through right through it, right? So I think that's what is kind of interesting because we've seen such a massive shift in, in subcultures and how people interact with them to the point where the lack of friction means it almost doesn't mean anything. It's so easy for me to jump into something just because I have the necessary funds to acquire it. Yeah, and that's, and that's really sad. The very first taste of entrepreneurship began with Homeroom Clothing, a small brand focused on custom hoodies in unique and often dead stock fabrics. As, a, as my first project that, that failed miserably, but I had a lot of fun and learned a lot. It was my kind of MA. Do you think it really MBA. was a failure though? No, I mean, at the time when I had to close it down because the economy slumped, uh, man, it was, the, it was the greatest lesson that I ever learned about yeah. how to start a company. Um, it was a great lesson in branding. It was a great lesson in design. It was a great lesson in relationships and management, um, funding. It, w- it set me up. So yeah. no, it wasn't a failure, yeah. but it did feel like it when I had to, yeah. when I had to shut it down or, or risk you know, just exposing myself completely yeah. to the uncertainty of a, of a failing economy. And this is more for me to contextualize sort of where it was at the time. I guess for me, the, the thing that defined Homeroom was high quality hoodies that had unique fabrics, unique sort of aesthetics. There was actually a deeper design element. I wouldn't say like you were necessarily pushing the boundaries of what a hoodie was. It was just a little more thoughtful approach to like fabric selection, for example. Yeah, it was yeah. It was very early, 
early years as a designer, you know, yeah. you're just doing things that are expressive and things that create tribalism yeah. where you can connect with people. If you see someone else wearing it, you kind of yeah. give them a nod and, and you know, right. Yeah. But um, the thing that made it really interesting was how many rappers um, started. Yeah, I was going to dip into this. I was going to push it that way just so people can understand what do you think is the one moment where you could look back on, Hey, you remember that? Yeah. Um, it was kind of like three weeks into starting the brand. Yeah. Kanye had it on and it was like, this brand's been around for three weeks and Kanye is What would have happened if that had occurred in 2017? <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that would have changed the trajectory, right? Yeah. You'd be like antisocial. Whatever. Antisocial on, was it Kim? Yeah. Something similar. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 It'd be something like that. But you know, like, it wasn't about that, right? It wasn't yeah. about he's wearing something with a logo on it. It was more like no one knew what it was, yeah. right? It was like, where do I get it? It was it was super nondescript. Like my stuff never had any kind of branding on it overtly yeah. on the exterior. Um, but the people that were in the know were like, oh, that's cool because yeah. it's like no one knows what it is, but yeah. maybe I know. And that's that's really kind of pithy in yeah. a way. Like it's, it's not important at all. Yeah. But as a 23-year-old, it was just cool, right? Because yeah. like, I I literally admired the music so much. I probably yeah. played it every day in my car in the form of a CD, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I had so much love for his music. And it opened up loads of doors, you know? Um, it opened up relationships. It opened up boutiques. It le- opened up learning experiences. It, it just kind of showed me like, man, I have a very long way to go to achieve. Yeah. Uh, my goals. Yeah. And, you know, it's still been, I don't know, 12 years, 13 years of nothing but 60 to 80 hour weeks, like doing what I'm passionate about. And I think Holmes set me on the right path and the people that I did it with were um, super supportive of it, you know? And, and I think if the economy didn't explode and our accounts didn't stop paying us, it'd still be going. Right place, wrong time is a way you could look at the ultimate demise of homeroom. But there's often a respect for those that have gone out and tried to do it themselves. The failure can be bitter, but you can believe that there's value that reveals itself down the line through new opportunities. From here, our conversation starts to go down a deeper route. And it begins with some of the philosophical underpinnings that have enabled Alex along the way. It's a journey of shedding your vanity in order to expose what is the truth. And I think everyone's journey as they mature is just like, what is real? What is truth, right? And that just comes from being curious about everything and trying to unpick, um, trying to unpick people's dogma yeah, and trying to unpick influence because this world is driven by economy and consumerism and it's not a considered approach. It's not how society should behave. That you know? sort of shedding vanity, is that something that was learned or is that something you always had? And that was that a byproduct of growing up in a skate community where everyone was sort of like challenging, is this legitimate? Is this real? Is this valid? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, it definitely comes from this notion, like if you are going to go and write, like if you're a tagger, yeah. if you're into if you're into art <laughs> yeah. with the spray paint can. Yeah. But, you know, if you're doing it, you have to be doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. Right. And there was, and there were people that were doing it for vanity reasons, just getting ups. Yeah. Right. There was like the kind of stuff that was just like 
really um, inspiring, thought-provoking, great technique, pushing the boundaries of what of what um, like like getting up was. Then there were people that were just kind of kind of toy and just doing it in volume. And so it was about quantity instead of quality. And I think vanity shedding vanity is about finding the quality, not the quantity, because it's really easy to fill up your closet. Uh, or your mind. It's really easy to, f- to fill up with mind that shit that doesn't matter. So how can yeah. you simplify your life? And I think yeah. that has to start with questioning what you're doing, right? Yeah. Like, why are you supporting that brand? Is that, does, you know, does that, does that brand have values that align to how you want to pursue your life? Alex's enterprising nature meant that he wouldn't be out of work for long after homeroom. His spirit combined with a purpose for his efforts would compound to form a perspective that would lead him to increasingly bigger roles. But that journey of shedding vanity, basically from homeroom, I went and did some freelance for Nike. That was amazing. Uh, but I had to ask myself, like, is this making a difference? Yeah. From that, I actually went to go work for Kanye. Just happened to pick the right email account and send him a photo of him wearing the hoodie. And he was like, yeah, man come to LA yeah. and I was in LA the next day and, and we worked on Pastel never released and we worked on a yeah. Gap project that never released and a few other projects but. yeah pre-make America great again Kanye West has been known in the past to start projects that sometimes never release while things may have changed considerably ranging from philosophies to political positioning Alex's early experiences with Kanye provided him access to an incredible creative mind I learned a lot about art direction from him because you know that's his strength, man. Yeah. He can he can see the talent in people and assemble and orchestrate the right mixture of strengths that can overcome the group's weaknesses. Yeah, and I think that's what a really good art director, creative director, does. Like yeah. I don't see him as a musician; I, I see him as a proper CD. From each experience, Alex continued to close door after door to arrive at his own perspective on what he wanted to do and what was his actual vision and what was his actual vision. I guess the story of Shedding Vanity for me is, you know, Homeroom was a vanity project. Working for Nike on, on, on a few things was a vanity project. Working for Kanye was a super vanity project. Yeah. But at the same time, when I was there, it became like, oh, this guy's a genius. Yeah. Like what I can absorb here, I just need to be quiet and absorb. Cause yeah. that was just an amazing moment. I remember um, seeing people coming in to pitch videos. Instead of them doing in a deck, they came in with a dolly full of books and post-it notes on it. Instead of flipping through slides, they'd flip through books. And and I think that was the first time I was exposed to a proper creative kind of pitch mm-hmm. from a professional. And so it definitely opened up the horizon of how to communicate visually. It started off as, as a vanity project and turned as like, whoa, this is an educational platform. Going to Levi's, I was exposed to kind of technical design there because we went from designing kind of traditional workwear to, to doing this commuter project. This commuter project was kind of the first time I worked on technical yarns, different chemicals, sustainability, and open up my mind to this world of performance. And when I started working on performance, I decided that I don't want to do fashion anymore. And that was the first step towards shedding vanity. 
Okay, enough about vanity and the vapidness in fashion. It's not that fashion is inherently bad or evil as we've made it out to be, but rather that there's something there beneath the superficiality that can actually be incredibly powerful and incredibly inspiring. This deeper meaning as part of community and cultural impact is something that sticks with you beyond trends. When you work on something that gives so much back to you, yeah. that helps transform your life, and in yeah. turn, when you innovate and it helps transform other people's lives, that sort of feeling like I'm making a positive impact. Yeah. Starting to feel. Yeah. I think there's still a very long way to go. But yeah. then it wasn't about trend. It wasn't about creating a void in people's lives because they don't have the latest silhouette or the latest logo or the latest color. Yeah, I, I didn't feel in it. I recall you mentioned something that kind of stuck with me. It's like fashion sort of perpetuates this sort of feeling of inadequacy. Yeah. Like that is basically how fashion exists. Yeah. And this is sort of a bit of a tangent, but you know, there's part of me in, within my career where I stepped away and I, for about 18 months, I just had a massive disdain for fashion. I just didn't understand. I didn't understand it, I guess. You could almost go to that degree. And then yeah. I soon realized like my inability to understand it was because my because of my inability to empathize with why people like fashion. And yeah. I think it really comes down to you're seeking identity. You're trying to communicate a status. That status could mean a lot of things. It could be it could mean sort of a financial status. It could mean an intellectual status because you have a shirt from the New York Times. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's when I started to kind of I almost I almost grew interested in fashion again under that pretense because I soon understood why so many people are so rabid about it. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because like from my shoes, when, when I think about the work that that you've done previously to this new endeavor, it very much drove consumer culture. Yeah. And when I think about the forums that we used to be involved in, yeah, those forums were all about geeking out on the details of consumer culture. It was almost another layer down into what made something authentic yeah. that didn't necessarily serve a function. Like what makes acronym authentic? Yeah. Right? Like like those were the debates. Um, and to your point, you know, I think that's why we still have friendships with those people from the forums. Yeah. Like I just met Cotton Duck, who I guess I've known for 12 years. Yeah. Last year. And it was like, someone Cotton- was like, hey, this is Sam. I was like, no, that's Cotton Duck. Is Cotton Duck the dude that used to dress like he was a railroad conductor? <laughs> is that is that the, the guy? Yeah. Yeah. Super future. Super future and forums in general may have lost a bit of influence in a post-forum era of subcultures. But the relationships that have been created are not lost on Alec and some of the previous people we've featured on Macon. Our way of describing super future, it's where people hang out that are better dressed than you, have more money than you, and are more knowledgeable about clothes than you. But when you dig deeper, you realize that it's a passionate community of people that welcomes discussion about every single facet of fashion, from inspiration and construction to cultural impact. But Superfuture is great. You know, I'm still friends with a lot of those people. Yeah. And I think it's because it was about trying to find authenticity. Yeah. So getting past the vanity of fashion. And I think that's really important. But how do you feel about kind of creating that world? For anyone that's known my past experiences and interacted with me under those contexts, part of my personal reflection and the connection of fashion and consumerism can naturally seep into the conversation. It makes sense. 
The dialogue we have runs counter to the previous role that I played in facilitating a lot of this mindless consumerism we now question. There was part of me within that whole space that I was always trying to find a way to justify why I was doing it. And I actually, at the time, for the longest time, I knew exactly why I was in it. I was in it for the stories and I was in it for what I deemed to be this mystical ability to take something in your mind that is intangible and then find a way to bring it to the real world. That to me was like my justification, but it soon got to the point where when the storytelling element maybe could no longer be brought to the forefront and it was just like, hey, there's no point in even focusing on this because we don't need to. I think that's when I really started to lose the plot a bit. I was like, oh, you know what? This is not me. And like, I always use this example. If you own 50 pairs of, of sneakers, my goal was to really sell you on buying a 51st pair. That to me was not a quote unquote legacy that I wanted to kind of define for myself. Right. And I think it's interesting because everything you said about always question what, what you believe to be true, 100% valid. I think that air of skepticism before agreement is something that's missing. Like, I feel like, honestly, you should, it's, there's nothing wrong with rolling up to anything anyone says and shading it before you sort of like understand, okay, yeah, it's valid. And I don't think that exists. Everyone's so quick to kind of accept everything to be true or not not do their due diligence to figure out if it's real or not. And I think that also was part of the mainstream approach that Hypebeast was taking. It was like, you know what? It's It needs sort of this celebrity push. And I also, also I look back on it, like, I don't think I was the right person to bring Hypebeast to where it is now. You know, like there was a time and place for me to really be sort of the other side and really double down on, hey guys, let's like, let's not play that game. But honestly, that game is probably what was needed to go to the next level. I just wasn't the right person to do it. I just couldn't do it within myself. When you're faced with the idea that action should aim for a sense of purpose, it can open up some interesting insights and challenges. If, if you have full integrity or 90% integrity versus 20% integrity, the rewards and the spoils are much different. And yeah. So it almost feels like the more integrity you have, it limits your ability to be successful within kind of our respective industries. What would an example of that be? Well, I think when designers pretend that they're designers and designing a range, but it's really, they're the face of a really big fashion house that's backing them. And, and they're preaching design values without knowing what they're saying and they just sound silly to people that are actually who have dedicated their life to to the process of creation innovation and transforming our world i think it's a slap in the face and i feel like a lot of them are just doing it for for fame and profits and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say any names because i don't know their whole story and their background but at least that's how it's appearing uh through every kind of media outlet that i encounter and they haven't done anything to show that they're legit and they have a really big audience. And and what I feel, like the reason I have a beef with it is because they have the power to make a positive impact, but they're choosing to use their influence to drive consumer culture into, into a frenzy. Yeah. They're not preaching a message of, of social relevance or humanitarian yeah. relevance, and they're doing it for personal gain. And I yeah. have a problem with people who have a platform that are self-serving point of contention is that in a resource-heavy industry like fashion, how does one justify what they create? And in the case of Rafa and Alex, what does it mean to create comparatively expensive cycling gear? 
So like just to challenge that thought, because I think I generally am in agreement with that, but if I was to kind of be on the flip side, like how do you look at that when you work at Rafa and then you also have, you know, these amazing products that are by price alone, maybe it cuts a certain segment out. Like yeah. what is your sort of vantage point on that? So, and I guess how does Rafa push against everything you said and then has sort of an underlying purpose? I think that's a really good question. For me, the thing that I love more than anything is seeing when people can connect together that are like-minded. And what an activity does, it allows you to move to a city and find someone else that's passionate about that, that activity. And they start forming a little community. And then as you get introduced to other people, you start fo- forming a bigger community. And what, as you know, from someone that plays sports, when you have that kind of slightly traumatic physical experience of really pushing yourself and suffering or, or applying yourself, and you do it within a team context, within a context of people, you get that bond, right? You get yeah. that oxytocin, get that serotonin. And the product isn't something that we market. What we try to market more than anything is the fact that there's a community aspect of it. And in certain markets where we have more of a presence, so in London where we have a thousand kind of RC, people that are in our cycling club, there's a real community there. Places that are more international that aren't necessarily um, metro hubs, not so much. For me, it is kind of helping transform people's lives and adding value to their rider. Yeah. Product to me is... Um, Which is the end of the road. It's it, kind of like it's, the cherry on top in a way. I yeah. mean, it does kind of create a sense of entry into the community, but... Yeah, but yeah. you don't have to wear Rafa to, to be part of the community, mm-hmm. you know? For me product is what I'm passionate about, but it's not creating a new colorway for the sake of a new colorway or, you know, a product that does the same thing as another product in range. It's about how can we push technology? How can we push fabrication? How can we push innovation to create no distractions in your cycling Mm -hmm. life? And at the same time, how can we as a brand maybe transition from making loads of products to offering more services. So our business model isn't about taking resources. What can we do to just create experiences? Do you, do you ever feel as though different points of your life have had these existential sort of crises where it's like, hey, you know what? I'm always, you know, back to that point, like what I thought was the right path is no longer the right path. And now you're at a point where like, I'm curious, do you see something else looming? Because it seems like you've had these sort of definitive chapters that open up a new world? That's a really good question because... Come with the bangers today. Man, I expect nothing less. I'm getting to a point in my age where I feel a responsibility to use um, the network that I have or the platform to do something that's not about me, to do something that's not about anything but what's going to help people. And I do believe that when you can create... I think that the key to our species, what makes us us, when you take away all the consumer culture, when you take away all the social shit, when you take away all the economics, we are a species that is driven by dopamine, which is a survival instinct that says, stick, I need stick, stick helps me hunt, hunting is good, keeps me, keeps me fed. We're driven by oxytocin, which is love, it's bonds. We're driven by serotonin, which is mood. And we're driven by endorphins, right? So when we accomplish something that you've applied yourself to, you get this kind of amazing reward. And so 
what can I do to help engage those vital chemicals in our body uh, in a different way than how Instagram is doing it? Because mm-hmm. Instagram has glued us and other media outlets have glued us to our phones. They've glued us to consuming entertainment or consuming products, mm-hmm. cycling, running, anything that's outdoors, but particular cycling, it gives you all of that plus. And so the more that I could do to help people get into the sport, um, the more that I could do to bring the barriers down, the more that I could do to innovate and push technology and create a platform that makes it easy for people to put down their phones and do something that is positive mm-hmm. for themselves, mm-hmm. then that's the journey I want yeah. to take. But at the same time, when I think about how the world is producing products, you know, I think automation has a, a big, a big lever to play in this. Yeah. And I don't mean machines sewing things, but you know, biochemistry is going to get there where we are able to create yarns in the lab that are organic, you know, that are cotton. I don't know where this journey will take yeah. me, but that's kind of where my yeah. mind's at. It's, yeah. it's important to question everything that you know. It's important to, to look at where you want to be five years from yeah. now and figure out the path of yeah. how to get there. We return to the topic of power and pricing. Pricing is the most immediate way to alienate or welcome certain people into the conversation. But there's one undeniable reality. Price allows the opportunity to create groundbreaking and innovative creations. I think what you get from cycling is way too important to not try to share it with people that maybe don't know about it or just curious about it. It's Mm -hmm. just too important. It's so transformational. Um, I don't think the budget thing can ever happen because it's really difficult to achieve performance and innovation on a budget. Got it. So you think there's a level of validation and attention that is created by doing things of a really high level? Yeah, it's it, it's doing the best work of your life. And the best work of your life doesn't start with a spreadsheet <laughs> and a margin percentage. You know, the best work of your life starts with what's going to impact the community in the most positive way. And that usually starts with events, that usually starts with rides, that usually starts with you know, can we transform the sport? Um, and then can we inspire people? Can we inspire people to reach a certain destination, a certain goal in their life, a certain platitude? And then can we give them the tools that they need to reach that goal? And so Rafa, I think, is polarizing to some people because of the price, to some people because of the art direction, to some people because of the community, to some people because, you know, we have all kinds of people that ride with us, which are people that are professional athletes, people that, you know, that are just starting out. I mean, you're probably not oblivious to any of these. So there's always, I guess, at the end of the day, acknowledgement is one thing, but it doesn't necessarily mean that something's wrong. It's just that someone's perspective is challenging you on how you do something. Yeah, and we're super transparent. You know yeah. what I mean? I, you know, I, I read all the comments on Instagram and, and other things just because I'm curious yeah. what the temperature is from people's perspectives. And I mean, some of them are just uh, assumptions. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of assumptions out there. Everything gets taken with a grain of salt yeah, because yeah. we're really confident in what we're doing. We're doing things for the right reason, and we're putting our community in front of in front of profits. Yeah. I could I could definitely tell you that. Yeah. So how do you see Rafa as someone who has like a deeper mission 
that just so happens to be within the world of cycling, is there any way that can be exported, not in a negative sense, but taking that sort of mission and goal and applying it to different verticals? You know, like, was there, is there ever an interest in, in applying yourself outside of cycling? Or maybe you personally, let's not, um, let's not use this brand. Let's use you, you yourself. Yeah. I think, I mean, Rafa is about road cycling, yeah. you know, and that's where the passion is. And if we did, if Rafa did something else, it would be inauthentic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it, it is about that camaraderie that you have with a friend, you know, doing running isn't something that binds this team, this group, mm-hmm. this company together. But me personally, um, I think, I think the notion of creation, like that's the stuff that I'm super passionate about. And I think people that are kind of maybe 16 to 21, <clears throat> especially in the States, don't have uh, a service or a platform or education system that inspires them to go and become creators, whatever that might be, photography, art, product, mm-hmm. even fashion, film. And I think it's because there's this fear. I'm not good enough. I'm not a creative. But it's like anything. You need to practice, practice, practice. So for me, this notion of creating without fear is something that is missing in this world. And I feel like maybe that's something that I can work with people to contribute on a scale. Something that will impact and something that will create a generation of critical thinkers so we're not in the kind of mess that we are in today. Mm-hmm. Beyond all this, these are extremely lofty goals that arguably can persist beyond your time on this planet, like to get super deep. But like, how do you how do you approach the deconstruction of these problems to make them make them more manageable? So you know, like you're not you're staring at a mountain every single day you wake up, but you know that hey, the reason why my I'm interested in making this impact is because of. I guess it's the easy way to say it. Yeah. Is why are you inspired to do this? You know what I mean? Because we have a short time here and yeah. and what better thing to do with your life than to try to to create positive change. But I think you you go through a transformative process in yourself when you stop thinking about yourself and you start thinking about all the people that you meet that could have benefited from the opportunities that you've you know, that you've been fortunate enough to have. You know, there's been plenty of people in my life that have inspired me. Um, that continue to inspire me, that continue to to mentor me, that push me to be the best version of myself. And I feel really lucky. And I don't know if everyone has that in in their life. And so it's benefited me tremendously having those people in my life. And so what kind of platform can I create so everyone has access to that? So everyone has the ability to have that education that's not taught by any school that's yeah. only taught by experience something that people get grandfathered in that yeah. a master class online is not going to teach you yeah i mean it might but i've taken some of those master classes you know i think the i think the encouragement uh isn't necessarily there yeah and i think that's what people are missing that's why people are stuck to social media as we round off the conversation i ask alex What are things that get him personally excited and push him to continue his path? What's evident is that there are some people that are setting out to create multi-generational goals and produce long-lasting contributions that will outlive their time on this earth. 
Yeah. And the last thing that got me genuinely excited is something that I've been working on for two years, which is having a platform to teach people how to design. And so uh, we'll hopefully roll that out later this year, which will be widespread. And also working with Norman Foster. And that's been that's been really special because this guy's a a design legend, a living legend, someone that is 82 years old that still competes in marathons. That that is the ultimate goal of of I don't know aspirational human being that is super kind and and really driven to push technology so all of humanity can benefit. You know, he's someone that's created new. Um, new, I don't want to say buildings, because it's more than, but he's someone that's created new spaces that's, that's changed social behaviors and work habits. That's led to creativity uh, and innovation uh, a thousand times over. And so I think it's when you work with architects, you really start um, seeing what their lofty goals are. And so how can you yourself have loftier goals and then how can the next generation have loftier er, er, er goals and so it begins right because that is the journey of human progression alex's path has taken him through several different channels he's clearly opened up to provide a conduit for the next generation but not without a healthy dose of realism there's a certain struggle that we often overlook and especially so in an age where our best foot is often put forward with the memories we share. There's a sense of luck that perhaps got Alex's homeroom hoodie onto Kanye West. But where he is today, Lau was conceived with a hearty appetite for struggle, sacrifice, and discomfort. I had no expectations of what it would be like. I just, I just wanted to make stuff, make things, make objects, solve problems, create experiences. The reality is that it's hard work. The thing of celebrity designers or, or superstar designers, that, that's just never going to happen again. Um, you have to put in the time, you have to learn the craft, you have to learn the skills, you have to get the respect of your peers. You have to suffer. You really do. And you have to fail 100,000, 2,000, 4,000, 5,000 times. I think it's super important to be given enough leash to fail. As long as you're not failing on purpose, it's okay. And, and the reality of it is that um, it's a somber state because you're constantly trying to um, express what hasn't been expressed or you're trying to seek something that hasn't been expressed or you're trying to innovate something that hasn't been innovative, innovated. And therefore, you, there is no path. Um, the easy way is just to, you know, go and remake stuff that's already been created and take two things, cut them up and put them together and make one new thing. But that's really boring. And that, and that's just kind of about having a moment and it being cool for a second. It's not a lasting object, you know? You think about the person that, you know, invented the first helmet or the person that invented the first running shoe, or you think about the person that invented the combustible motor or someone that invented the microphone or someone that invented EVA or someone that invented a jacquard machine or someone that invented a stole knitting machine. Like those are real innovations that last time because they solve a problem. And if you're not a problem solver, you're going to really struggle because it's not about creating vanity and just art. 
not to be super discouraging, but that's been my that's been my experience. If you'd like to hear more stories like this one and more from the world of creative culture and beyond, check them out at makin.com. That's M-A-E-K-N.com. Or search for us on your favorite podcast app.